I don't know if you pay attention to the front of the bulletin, but we actually have a very, very nice bulletin. You look at the front of that, that pencil drawing of the church, and uh, there's always scripture down below, and look, look at that. And so this means that somebody's paying attention to the sermons, and they're going in here and they're putting, they're, they're putting in here what they heard. And then they got the point of the sermon because you see all the bold and, and the underlined. The message last week was about personal evangelism. And look, look at that. That's really cool. And, and I noticed that every week there's something there about something that was just taught um, before. And also, if you listen to the podcast uh, this past Wednesdays, it, uh, there was a mess up. If you tried to listen to it, then it would, it would play Sunday's message. So Sunday's message was on there, and then Wednesdays, it, it, it went in, it, it, would, it should have came out on, on Thursday morning, and it was Sunday's message over again. It had the right title on it. So... Uh, trying to redo it. I don't think it ever actually got sent out like it normally does. But you can go to, and the reason I'm saying this right now is because this is going to be hopefully on a podcast so people who are listening to it can get these directions. Uh, you can, when, you, when you pull up that podcast, you have the, a little symbol that's got the three dots in a horizontal and inside of a circle. And you push that, and then options will come up, and there's a podcast website. Hit that, and then you can find the updated uh, podcast that you can actually hear this past Wednesdays. So I don't know, uh, the, the, the sound people, the technical people, maybe they can figure out how to redo to where it actually comes to you normally. I'm just glad we got people that can do those things. I'm not that good at it. So today we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. I know you've heard that over and over and over again. And I'm going to actually move on a little bit in 11. Uh, Last week, as far as in Hebrews, we read uh, 20, 21, and 22. Now, verse 22 says, by faith, Joseph. When he died, made mention of the parting of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, that one little verse right there talking about Joseph. Now, if you know anything about how much I love the story of Joseph and how much I've mentioned it in the past, I could easily spend a month of Sundays on sermons about Joseph. And it's tempting to do. I would love to do it. But I really want to get through Hebrews at some point. And so as, as much as I wanted to get into some details on the person of Joseph, I'm going to move on, and we're, we're going to be talking about Moses today. And if you do listen to the Wednesday night podcast, or if you're here on Wednesdays, we've talked a lot about Moses uh, recently because we went through the whole book of Deuteronomy. And... Uh, 
So Moses was talked about quite a bit. And here in verse 23 it says, By faith Moses. And in 24 it says, By faith Moses. So the, the title of today's sermon is, By Faith, Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty three through 29. Now, this first verse, even though it says, By Faith, Moses, it's really not talking about Moses' faith because he was a little baby, just born. It's talking about his parents' faith. So let's read. By Faith, Moses, when he was born was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now think about all that. There's a whole lot in that verse right there. Moses is born. So if you don't know the history behind this, you, you might not understand why this is so significant. If you don't know the history behind Joseph, you don't know why and why all of his family came down to Egypt. You don't understand what the significance is of the faith of Joseph in telling the people to take his bones back when they leave there one day. You, you don't see it. You, when you back up and see what Isaac, uh, blessing his sons, what the significance of it was. And for all of these people that we've talked about in Hebrews 11, if you don't know the history, you don't see the significance of it. Now, if you've gone back and you know all the history of all these people, you don't get the whole story until you read these little passages of each one of them in Hebrews. And then it kind of, it, what you'll do, you'll read it in Genesis and you'll get, you'll, you'll get a lot out of it and you'll, you'll uh, enjoy the stories but there might be some questions you might have. Or you might hear somebody say something about those stories, and you might think they're adding something to the story. See, I can talk about all of those people. I can talk about Abraham taking Isaac up on top of that mountain, and I could say certain things about it that's not in the story. And you're thinking, oh, he's adding something to Scripture. But then you go over to Hebrews, and, it's, and that's where it is. I didn't make anything up. I'm just telling you what's in Hebrews because it explains things that you, that, that, uh, you didn't get in um, Genesis. Okay, so now, now that we've gotten all the way to Joseph, guess what? Genesis is, is done. Now we're, now we're talking about Moses, so now we're in Exodus. So, what was the big deal about him? Why did he have to be hid three months? Because all the male babies were being thrown in the Nile River so the crocodiles could eat them up or they could just drown. That's what was going on. And Moses, three months ago, should have been thrown in the river. He should have been dead. But he's three months. He's been hid for three months. And his parents were not afraid of the rule and the law that every male child was to be done away with. So it got to a point where they could hide him no longer, and they were to cast him out. And maybe they were thinking about Noah 
building that big boat way back in you know, what we know of Genesis 6 and people being put inside that ark and they floated on top of the waters of destruction. They're supposed to throw their little baby into the waters of destruction and they're like, wait a minute, let's build an ark for him. And they built an ark, and they placed him in the ark, and they covered it with pitch, just like Noah covered the big ark with pitch. And it was a little miniature version of what they knew that saved a handful of people. And they, by faith, they put him in that little tiny boat, and they pushed him out into the Nile River. And it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter's there. She, she sees it. She hears a baby's cry will touch a woman's heart. And we already know that he was a proper child, or he, he just looked very beautiful. You know, some babies are just so cute, right? Well, all babies are cute, but some are just really, really cute. And evidently, Moses was a really, really cute baby. And when Pharaoh's daughter, when they pulled open that ark, and she looked in there, and he, he, he cried that touched her heart, and she saw him, and she wanted him for her own. And she was going to uh, uh, nourish him and raise him. But not being afraid of the king's commandment. We are not supposed to be a people of fear. Even, even when our government could be very corrupt, and we have terrible laws and things that are allowed for, and as time goes on, it gets worse and worse. Just like uh, was mentioned during the time of uh, joys and concerns, we have places all across our country where people are just walking into department stores and picking up what they want and walking right out and basically just daring anybody to stop them. You know, it's happening all over the place. We don't see it much right here in our little area, but... We know what's going on, and if it is allowed to keep going on, then people here are going to see, well, they're getting away with it. I'm going to do it too, and it's just going to get worse and worse. If you don't stand up and stop the bad things with uh, punishment, consequences for those people's actions, there's going to be too many others, and there, there'll be people who would never want to do something like that, but after a while, some people think, well, you know what? If... I work hard, and they're just getting away with it. Nobody's throwing them in jail, so why should I spend my hard-earned money when I can go out and get it for free? They might justify it. So people who normally wouldn't do something like that may get to a point where they just give up and say, all right, if you're going to let them do it, I'm going to do it too. So it always gets worse. And it's fear. We fear those things. And, but we're not supposed to be a people of fear. When you, when you see this right here, it's, it's something we haven't seen in the other verses about faith when we get to 23. It, it's, it's, it's like we see a new element of faith right here. And they had a certainty that takes away the fear of man. Having faith in a direct promise of God naturally results in a state of assurance that leaves no reason for fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, 2 Timothy 1.7, Lois should know that verse very well. 
she probably can quote it to us right now, right? No? <clears throat> For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <clears throat> 24, verse 24 of 11, Hebrews. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, remember, Egypt represents the world. The world has a lot to offer you. The world. Uh, government is a worldly thing, and we need government. But government can offer you protection and uh, the treasures of this world, the government can offer you that to where you become dependent on government. And most governments are very worldly. And if they offer you the things that th people want comfort and safety. Most people want comfort and safety. And governments, and I, when I say a government, there are people in power in government that want to be in power. We should always, always look back to George Washington, the first president of the United States. <clears throat> he had the opportunity to become king of the United States. They wanted him. The people of this country wanted him to be king. And he said, have you lost your mind? Basically, is what he said. What did we just do? What did we just fight a war for? Why did we win that war? Why would we want to start over what we just got away from? So he became president, not king. And after serving as president, they, people, the people of this country would have elected him over and over and over again, and he refused. And when word got back to England, to the king over there, that George Washington refused to be president again, the king over there said, that's truly a godly, humble man. He fears God. So, people who are power-hungry, they will give you all the comfort and pleasures of this world as long as you keep putting them back in office. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Government is not our friend, and it takes people away from looking to God as their source for being taken care of, and we need to be like Moses here, who, when he came of age, when he was old enough to make decisions for himself, that's a, that's a good verse here. That's a good verse to think about. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years. There, there are times when you're little, but you're going to get to a point where you have to make decisions for yourself. You cannot, um, when, you're, when you're very young, you're not held accountable to certain things. That's where we come up with this idea within the church uh, of that age of accountability. Some people say it's not in the Bible. Well, here's a verse that talks about it right here, where there is a time where you are accountable. 
God, will, God is a perfect God, and people say, well, if a baby... We've had some really weird doctrines in our, in our Christian religion from all different kinds of denominations from many, many years. And some, <laughs> we need to be Bible people. We really need to get into what the Bible says, not what man thinks it says. So anyway, there's this age of accountability. Moses has, has gotten there, and he has, he, he's, he's becoming an adult, and he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Didn't he understand he had a free ticket? Didn't he understand that he had it made? All he had to do was stay in what he was just adopted into. Everything was going to be wonderful for him. He was the son, adoptive son, of Pharaoh's daughter. Does that mean he could be king one day? Could he be Pharaoh one day? Maybe so. And he surely, he's been educated in the ways of Egypt. He, he, he has everything he wants, a life he could live that in, is, is very comfortable and very, very uh, safe for him, but if he, if he gets out of that, he's risking losing all that and losing safety as well. But the Bible says that he, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing, he actually had a choice. He, it says he choose, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He knew all those Hebrew people were really his people. He knew that. And he knew they were God's people, God's chosen people. Egypt was not. Egypt represents the world, and the world... It, they, you're not God's people if you're in the world. You have to, through Jesus Christ, get to God. That's the only way you're getting to God. You know, I said something that probably... And I can't remember when I said it. It might have been, might have been a Wednesday night. And I said something that would cause most people to go, what? And, and wait a minute. I actually said on a Wednesday night that we, as human beings, we do not have a sinful nature. That should shock. If you're religious, that should shock you. You should be like, oh, well... If we don't have a sinful nature, what kind of nature do we have? We have a human nature, which is very sinful and corrupt and depraved. But we do not have a sinful nature. So I'm taking this opportunity to, to kind of explain it. For anybody who might listen, who might have heard that and said, oh, he's speaking some bad stuff. We do not have a sinful nature because if we did, then all we would ever do would be sin and everybody would be fine with it because that's our nature. If that's our nature, then that's what we would do all the time. So people, religious people, and of course the NIV Bible, because you don't see sinful nature in the King James Bible. You, you don't see the term sinful nature. It's not in the King James Bible at all. But you can find it in the NIV all, all through it because they take the word flesh which is, which is the Greek word sarks, and they every time, not every time, but many times they take that word flesh and they change it to sinful, sinful nature. And it makes sense to us human beings because we know we have that propensity to sin. We know we, do, we have the lust of the flesh. We have all these things we have to deal with, 
And when somebody says we have a sinful nature, it kind of registers. You're like, yeah, yeah, I guess we do. But no, you don't. Because you know when you do something wrong, especially as a little kid and as you, you get a little older. And when you do something bad, you hide. Why? If you had a sinful nature and you did something bad, you wouldn't be one bit embarrassed about it and you don't feel the need to hide. Is it making sense? We have a guilty conscience when we do something bad. It's been given to us by God. Now, the reason I'm saying this is, all right, so you can take a group of people and you can actually rate them, give them a rating on how sinful they are and how bad they are. You could do that with any, any group of people. You have won the worst center award. You stand way over here. You're number one. You're the best center of all of us. And then you can, uh, you know, you're not quite as bad. You keep working on it, and you might be able to overtake him. And then you kind of downgrade it all the way down, and then you got this person over here that's just sweet as they can be. They won't even kill a fly. And, and they, you are so, you're so far, I don't think you'll ever, ever be able to get anywhere close to these sinners over here. You are so awesome. Those are the hardest people to get saved. Those people who are really, really good people, they don't see the need of a Savior because they think they're, they're so much better than everybody else that surely God would pick them because they're so good. And they might even grow up and do all kinds of great things for everybody, and they will spend their whole life making the world a better place to go to hell from. So no, we don't have a sinful nature. And there's people like that who grow up and make the world a better place are a perfect example of why we don't have sinful natures, but we have human natures. And human natures are very corrupt, very sinful, very depraved. And the best human, per, per, the, the, the one who would win the award for being the best human being that cares for people, are, they're going to hell just like the worst sinner who won the worst sinner award. They're all going to hell if they miss Jesus. So, by his faith, talking about Moses, Moses chose to step away from wealth and power, and he's, in, in doing that, he stepped into a world of potential personal suffering. And that's exactly what happened to him. He who believes God, anybody who really believes God, the same is willing to do so at the expense of his own comfort and safety. Most people are not, because of the human nature, they're not willing to do this. They're not willing to. They don't want to, they don't want to risk the expense of their own comfort and safety. Verse 26 says, I mean, notice in 25, he he, he shows us right here, he would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. 
for even a season. So he's, he's showing you that Egypt, which is worldly, is sin, but affliction is, is to be with the people of God. 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. What? We're talking about Moses. And right here, it's looking back on the story of Moses in Exodus, and it says here in Hebrews, esteeming... So it's saying Moses was esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. All right, so here's an, ex- here's an example of what I was talking about earlier. And when I'm talk- when I- If I'm just reading out of Exodus, this story, and I say, well, Moses was looking to Christ. He could see Christ way back then. And you could be going... It was 1,500 years before Christ even appeared on the earth. How could he be looking to Christ? Well, Christ means... that The word Christ and Messiah are the same thing. And what does Messiah mean? The anointed to deliver his people. The anointed, the one who is picked to deliver his people. Is Moses is a type and picture of Christ in this situation. He's looking forward to Christ, and he's actually an example of Christ. What, would, what was he sent down there to do? So by this point, he has already killed an Egyptian who was severely mistreating one of his people. He went down and saved his person from the taskmaster, and in the process of it, he killed him. And he hid his body, right? Hit him in the sand. And then the next day, he sees two of his Hebrew brethren fighting, and he goes down and, and he rebukes them and separates them. Why are you fighting amongst brothers? And then they look at him and they're like, who made you ruler over us? What are you going to do to us? Kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And he's like, y'all know about that? And he takes off, right? He's, he's 40 years old. That happens and he leaves and he goes to Midian, and he's hiding out in Midian for 40 years. He meets his wife, has children, he's a shepherd, he's out there, he's, he's doing it for 40 years before he walks up on a burning bush. And the burning bush is not burning up. He's like, that's not quite right. What's up with this? Take your shoes off, you're on holy ground, and I need you to go back to Egypt and deliver my people. So he's going to be a type and picture of Christ going back to Egypt. Jesus came down here to get us out of this world so that we can go be with the Father forever. Moses goes down into Egypt to get them out of the world to show them deliverance from the bondage that they were in to go into the promised land. So, Moses is a type and picture of Jesus. Moses stepped away from the treasures of Egypt into the role of a slave. They were all slaves. The nation of Israel were slaves to the bondage of the Egyptians. The parallel to that for us Christians today, the parallel, 
Christians, that would be us, stepping away from the pleasures and power of the world to join Christ in persecution and ridicule. We should be like Moses. We should see into the future that we might suffer here on this earth, but the recompense of the reward, that's what we're going to get in the afterlife. When we've been there forevermore, There'll be no less days to sing of his praises and glories and all those things that we'll be doing up there. Do you really believe that that's going to happen to you one day if you're a believer on Jesus? Are you a believer to where you think that you're actually going to be going to a perfect heaven and to be with God forever? You know, some people really don't believe it in their heart that that's going to be. And you can tell by the way they live their life. Oh, they're so wrapped up in safety and comfort of this world, they're not willing to suffer the afflictions while living in this world and have recompense for the reward that's coming. Most people don't. When, when you walk out into the world and you walk up and you start telling people about Jesus and the Christian life, People can tell if you're genuine or not. If you don't really believe in what you're talking about, it will, they'll pick it up. People will pick that up. You have to really believe in what you're trying to sell to sell it. Now, we're not trying to sell the gospel, but you know what I mean. You're trying to convince people that that is real and if you don't truly believe it in your heart, you're never going to be a good personal evangelist. That's for sure. You never will be. 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So after Moses came back, and he's about ready, he's trying hard, he's done all these different things, all these plagues on Egypt, and they let us go. We need to go out and worship our Lord. And nope, nope, nope. And Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder. And finally, there was that last plague, that last thing that was going to happen, and the death angel was going to, to come down into Egypt, and every family human family, the firstborn of the family would die, and that's even all the animals. The firstborn of animals would die, and there was only one way to keep that death angel from taking out the firstborn, and that was on the 10th of the first month, you find your little baby lamb without spot or blemish, and for four days you watch that lamb, make sure it was... It was uh, without spot or blemish. That, that's a type of Jesus Christ preparing. He's, you're, he's being watched. Is he the perfect Lamb of God? And then on the 14th, he dies on the cross. The Lamb is slain. It's blood shed. And the hyssop is dipped into the blood. And they, they, they uh, uh, wipe it on. They're painting. 
the, the doorpost and the lintel, the post above the door, with blood. Well, that's gross. That, that makes no sense. Well, that's God's way. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the blood applied, Jesus shed his blood at Calvary. His blood ran down that cross. That blood, Jesus took to heaven and put in the Holy of Holies on the real Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat that's in heaven. He put his blood there to atone for the sins of every one of us. But we can know about that and just know about it. It doesn't do a thing for you, just knowing about it. Has the blood been applied? Through faith, he kept the Passover. Do we keep the Passover? That death angel came over Egypt. And if the, if the death angel saw the blood on the door, pass, the door post, he passed over that household. And no death. But any door that he saw that did not have the blood applied, the firstborn was killed in every house. When our time is up here on this earth and we pass away, the death angel is going to see if the blood has been applied. Jesus' Jesus's blood uh, makes the death angel pass over us to where we can be with the Lord forever. I was working on a message for the blood, and that's a that's a good, that's a for a whole Sunday sermon is the blood, and there are a lot of sophisticated people that don't like it, don't want to hear about the blood. There's lots of churches throughout America that don't want to talk about the blood. They won't talk about it. It's too gruesome, <clears throat> but it's critical, absolutely critical. 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. So the Egyptians, they, I don't know why they didn't get it. They were held back by that pillar of fire long enough to where the sea could be parted. All the, Egypt, all the uh, Israelites walked through. I think it was like 600,000 men who left Egypt. And that's not counting all the women and children that went out. So think about how many people had to walk through those walls of water. And then when the pillar of fire moved out of the way and the Egyptians could have made a decision, you know what? I don't know about this. But they all were... I'd say every single Egyptian soldier that was pursuing the Israelites were probably very angry. I bet because I know every single one of them had lost a firstborn child the night before. They were all pursuing with anger in their hearts, and they went down into that Red Sea, following. And when all of them got down in there, I mean, you got to think about how far it was from one bank to the other bank of the Red Sea. You can look at a map and see see that. So they're all down inside of there. When the last Israelites came up, up out of the other side, then all the waters caved in on the Egyptians, and they were all drowned. <clears throat> it looked like 
all the Israelites were going to die right there before, they, before the Red Sea parted up and, and uh, the water moved. There was no way to get out. They, there was mountains on either side. There was the Red Sea in front of them. They all turned around. They saw the Egyptian army coming to them. And it looked like it was a suicide. It's like, why did we do this? Why did we come out here? And Moses said, look, God didn't bring us all the way out here for us to die. And he raised up that staff. And all of a sudden, those waters started to part. And they all went through. <clears throat> By faith, Moses. Homework assignment. Read Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. It'll, it'll, it'll go through Abraham all the way through Moses. And it's the story at, where Stephen is talking about all of what we've just talked about over the last several, several weeks. And Stephen wraps it all up in a very powerful sermon to his, his fellow uh, Hebrews, the leaders of his day. And when, when Stephen gets to the end of his sermon... He's basically telling them, look, you forsook Jesus. He's telling them about Moses and what Moses did for the people. And he said, that was a type and picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus has shown up to deliver his people just like Moses did. The Passover lamb, that was a type of Jesus. He, he was to shed his blood. And all of you people are the ones who forsook him and murdered him. And they were so mad about what he said, they all rose up and stoned him. And Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And as stones were flying toward him, bouncing off of him, he, he, he prayed, Lord, don't hold this to their account. And then he fell, the Bible says he fell asleep which means he was a Christian who died in body on this earth and that he was going to the afterlife. And his body was going to sleep for a while, but he was going to be with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Father, we thank you for the, the wonderful stories that we have that we can read. And Father, I just pray that each and every one of us by being led by the Holy Spirit, we can see the deep meaning of your word. Father, we can see the types and the pictures. And Father, that we would be able to take these stories that have been uh, lived out so many years before, thousands of years, Father, that we would see how we can apply each and every one of these examples to our lives today. Father, help us to have courage like Moses so much courage because we really, truly believe what the Word of God says. Father, we're not looking at our faith because our faith is pitiful. Father, we know we have human natures, but Father, that we can believe on Christ and have a spiritual nature. And Father, we want to walk after the Spirit and have confidence in Your promises. Father, we do not have faith in ourselves, but we have faith in what You have promised us. And Father, that's what we're looking to. We're looking to your ways and your promises. And Father, we have total confidence in that. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.